Hi, everybody. My name is Christian Cisant. I'm a partner here at Lois Law Firm, and today we're going to talk about appeals and post-trial practice as part of our New York Workers' Compensation webinar series. Getting a special treat on a Tuesday, given that uh, we were off yesterday for President's Day, but let's go into what we're going to discuss. So, uh, when should we appeal a decision? Uh, there may be different aspects of your claim other than a legal finding. Uh, there may be something involving a stay of benefits or medical treatment, medical bills that would allow you to appeal a decision. There may be tactical reasons to appeal. Are you advancing the claim with settlement? Are you advancing the claim with a resolution of uh, Section 29 reimbursement from a third-party civil claim? And the costs of the appeal, right? Uh, how expensive is it going to be to litigate further versus the opportunity cost of not appealing? And as we go through these things, uh, we'll try to give you some practical advice and some takeaways that you can use on your claims. So if anybody has attended some of these webinars before, and I do see some attendees on the list that I recognize, uh, you'll be very familiar with this question box. Uh, you can type uh, your questions live that will be reviewed at the end of the webinar today. Uh, as far as the uh, webinar we have, uh, appeals may seem like a very elementary or basic tenant of litigation and workers' compensation, uh, but feel free to ask questions related to cases that you're dealing with. We'll, we'll, we won't name any names, uh, whether that be of claimant or employer, but uh, hopefully that might uh, you know, give you some details to discuss and ask questions about so that you can get some practical advice. So let's talk about the path of the appeal. Well, the appeal starts at an unfavorable decision from the law judge, right? So the law judge is going to make a decision that is not in our favor, necessitating our desire to appeal. So that may come about in any facet of uh, claim whether that be the compensability of an accident all the way to uh, permanency, whether uh, there is schedule loss of use of loss of or loss of wagering capacity. And the first level of that appeal is going to go to a board panel. Board panel is a three member group of the full board, which is typically about 12 commissioners that are going to decide uh, the merits of your case. Now, if that board panel does not find in your favor, your next appeal would be to the full board and or the appellate division, the third department. And that's going to give us another opportunity uh, to proceed further with the issue being litigated. Now, if you're not deterred by an unfavorable decision at that level, then we would be going to the Court of Appeals. That is the highest court in our great state of New York. And we'll go over the uh, cost benefit analysis of that level uh, in, an, in another slide. Uh, so as again, we're completely live, especially in this revamped studio. Uh, it's the first time I've actually stepped foot in it. Uh, come a long way since uh, breaking ground in 2015. Uh, so pepper the questions and, and have them come in. So what can be appealed to the board panel? Uh, I'd like to say everything, 
uh, but in reality, we're really discussing decisions with finality. Any final decision that's made by a law judge, you may see that in a notice of decision or a reserve decision. When we talk about finality, we're really discussing the opposite of, you know, I guess uh, something conclusive, right? Uh, in our parlance, in our industry, we sometimes we're, we're talking about issues held in abeyance or issues that are interlocutory. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't appeal those findings also, but in reality, if you're looking for an outcome, a result from the board panel that's going to be different, and your focus is not primarily on tactics, strategy, and just the result itself, what you're going to be appealing is a final decision. For example, the claim is compensable under the New York Workers' Compensation Law, and there is an order to pay indemnity benefits. The opposite effect would be, for example, the claimant has produced enough medical evidence to proceed to trial. Now that would in general be an interlocutory decision that is not necessarily subject to appeal because the provision or the production of that medical evidence just gets the trial to a different stage of the timeline. And there's no finality or order that becomes conclusive on the employer or carrier that you would be looking for a desired result. Now, there are certain cases where appealing something like in, uh, an interlocutory PFME decision or decision held in abeyance may have some benefit, right? If we want to be aggressive on labor market attachment, if we wanna be aggressive on denying COVID-19 compensability, that may be a step you'll take because the opportunity cost of doing so may be too high or opportunity cost of not doing so, I should say, may be too high. When we appeal to the board panel, we are required to file a form. Uh, that form is uh, RB89 for the board panel if you are the losing party at the trial level. Now, the interesting thing or development about this particular um, requirement is that the case law or the statutory construction of section 23 has now developed or changed to, to actually permit filings that may slightly be erroneous or omit uh, non-relevant information to the merits of your appeal and allow you to proceed with the litigation before the board panel. In the past, the board panel has been rejecting appeals from both sides of the aisle with respect to anything and everything. Uh, you might have a rejection of your appeal because you typed a four instead of a five, or because uh, you stated that the date was November 22nd instead of November 23rd. And basically the state has uh, amended that action to state that errors or omissions in the form of its form itself, if it doesn't materially impact the substantive merit of your filing, then it should not be rejected. So it's definitely a development that both sides, uh, claimant and defense, are, are rejoicing about. It makes it more about the argument and less about uh, you know, the, the, the papering of the file. You'll have a 30-day timeline. And when I say 30 days, that's 30 calendar days from the filing date of the notice of decision. It's not 30 business days and it's not 30 days from the actual hearing. The relevant anchor date is the filing date. 30, calendars, 30 calendar days thereafter will get you to your deadline. Uh, that comes into play sometimes when you have a deadline that falls on the weekend. 
Uh, general construction law actually pushes it to the next available business day, but here at Lois, we like to be very proactive and get those appeals out on the Friday beforehand. So you lose at the board panel level, and what do you want to do next? Well, the next level is the full board, which is an ask of the 12-member full board instead of the three-member panel, as well as the third department of the appellate division to look at how the board acted within its administrative authority or discretion. You have a different pleading, it's the RB89.2, but very similar to the RB89 on the first level of appeal. But for the appellate division, you have to file what's called a notice of appeal. This starts a six-month timeline for when the appealing party can perfect that appeal. Uh, there's a lot of ins and outs that goes into compiling the record, complying with the uh, printing, binding costs, uh, and requirements of the appellate division, but the notice of appeal is a separate document that isn't just restricted to workers' compensation. It's going to be filed to different parties and served on those parties in order to start that process. Cost and complexity is going to be a little different in this avenue. When we're talking about that first level from trial judge to uh, board panel, you're only discussing legal expenses, time and expense maybe, uh, to get that level going. Uh, the cost and complexity of an appellate division submission is very, very different. Uh, we have a, a table on a, on a future slide to show you, but essentially the cost is gonna go way up, mostly due to the printing and binding costs requ uh, and requirements of the appellate division, but the complexity is very different insofar as the steps that uh, are required before submission of the brief. The parties, for example, have to agree on the record on appeal, how many documents are uh, permissible to submit so that both parties can cite to the record appropriately and equally. Uh, every party gets the option to object to that type of uh, inclusion or exclusion, and then you go from there as far as finding an agreement so that there's an anchor date to push you forward. The Court of Appeals, as I stated briefly, is the highest court in our great state of New York. Uh, We'll go over it again in a, in a future slide, but there is an extremely high cost associated with this, and the complexity uh, is just as time-consuming and arduous as it is in the below uh, division, the appellate uh, division third department. The reason this is is because it's very, very rare that a court of appeals is going to look at its little brother, the appellate division, and say, no, you acted incorrectly. A lot of the case law that we work with to advance our positions in trial courts today are actually based on appellate division decisions, meaning that if that losing party of the decision that we're citing went to the court of appeals, it was likely rejected or not perfected. So here's where we're at with each level of appeal. Now what I like about going to the board panel is, a, is the relatively high rate of success. Over there on your right-hand side, you can see that uh, our experience has shown a 30% success rate in getting some level of the decision on the lower court changed in some way. The cost is also beneficial because we're not talking about any filing fees and maybe the biggest benefit is the stay of any indemnity benefits or medical bills associated with our position. When we get to that second level, 
it gets a little bit harder to succeed. We are, our chances of success drop to eight to 10% based on the venue that we're going for. And if we are doing that, our, our main recommendation is to do both. One, because a filing to the full board may be discretionary if the board panel decision was unanimous. Meaning, if there are three members of that panel that review your appeal, and those three members all decide against you, the full board does not have to review your appeal, even if you file to that level. The appellate division, no matter what the decision was at the board panel, has to review your appeal, but it comes with a cost. So that's why we like to go concurrent together so that we can uh, match those two submissions and in concert, we can figure out best strategy for the file, but there is an added cost. There's going to be a minimum floor of $5,000 that you're likely uh, investing in this level of litigation, not including hours and expenses uh, that may not be foreseeable when the uh, authorization to proceed in that regard is provided. Very interesting, a last level of Court of Appeals, there's no percentage in that box, and I think it's actually symbolic. I want to make it very clear that we should not be doing that unless all of the factors really go for us. The board panel acted incorrectly, the full board didn't hear our, our appeal, the appellate division decided against us, and we still think that we are the wronged party, that there is all the case law on our side. So chances of success and making new law are very high. We also know that we're not getting a stay on benefits. So we have to measure the opportunity cost of not going uh, to the Court of Appeals. And at that point, it's likely to be lower than the opportunity cost of going to the appellate division. And third, since there's no benefit to, to going to the Court of Appeals as it relates to the underlying workers' compensation claim, the work, meaning the workers' compensation claim will proceed on schedule, then it really has to be a decision that, you know, where you're putting all the chips to the table, all the eggs in that basket to make sure that this is the one case uh, that you're going to put your time into, or at least the most prioritized one. So, if we think about where we are before I get to the questions, we went through some tactical reasons, right? Thinking about an appeal to leverage settlement, an appeal to leverage a resolution of Section 29 third-party reimbursement. We talked about the costs of appeal. Are the costs low enough for employers and carriers when measured against the prospective benefit of not appealing? Think about a case that's established on appeal uh, or established, uh, I'm sorry, established by the lower trial judge. If you don't appeal, you would now be responsible for indemnity benefits and medical benefits for the rest of that claimant's life. Without that appeal, the opportunity cost or the, the amount of those benefits, plus all the litigation that you may need to do with the underlying issues or the secondary issues associated with that claim. We then talked about the cost of going to different levels, right? The effect of the stay. Getting the stay of benefits from trial judge to board panel is very important because it also makes going to that level more feasible, even if the law is not on your side. So when we marry those concepts together, the tactics and strategy of going there with the cost and the opportunity cost of not doing so, the best takeaway is to consider 
what an appeal would give you versus what you're likely looking at this claim if you don't appeal. That's the number one thing we try to do here at Lois for appeals. What is this going to do for you? And as far as an appeal goes, the first level of the stay is your best friend. It's going to get you to a spot where you can leverage settlement, you can leverage resolution of different secondary issues, and it should be looked at in concert with the success of the appeal. And in concert with the success of the appeal, if we believe that 30% of those submissions are being uh, modified, reversed, rescinded, or remanded, then it puts us in a good position to litigate everything under the sun. So let's go and see what questions we have. All right, so Tim asks, why uh, is there no stay from the first level of appeal to the board panel to the second level appeal to the full board if it's staying within administrative jurisprudence? Well, I think that's a good public policy question, Tim, and I thank you for the question. Essentially, when the trial judge makes a decision to order benefits, and we take that 30 days from that filing date to the submission of the appeal, the claimant is not going to be paid if we're doing things strategically, right? We're gonna take the position on our appeal that it's not compensable or uh, there's no disability, and we're not going to remit benefits to the claimant. The board panel is not gonna decide that case tomorrow. The board panel is gonna take at least six months, possibly even 12. I've seen appeals be pending for longer than that as well, where the claimant will be without benefits for that entire period of time. So I think, you know, as a hardened defense attorney, I try not to, to think about, you know, what it means to the claimant. But in actuality, this one makes sense because we did get our bite at the apple to withhold our benefits in service of our position. But once that position has been ordered by the board panel as affirmed uh, to the law judge, then we should be paying to the claimant. We should be paying the claimant's medical providers uh, because that's the opportunity cost that we're looking into as far as the next level of appeal to either the full board or the appeal division. And I think that's the only question we have today. So uh, thank you everybody for uh, appearing for today's webinar. Uh, I'm sorry that Greg Lois couldn't be here, but I hope the suspenders make up for it. And uh, if you have any questions, you can certainly let us know. My name is Christian Cison, and I'm reminding you to defend from day one.